this is King Caruso from the Black History Buff Podcast. And I know you're busy, but before you move on, I've got some questions for you. Do you know who the father of modern medicine is? Did you know that the most famous Russian writer of all time is black? Could you tell me the name of an Ethiopian samurai? Look, look. If you already know that black history is world history and can answer all of those questions, then please, just, just skip this message. If not, then hang on. In a world filled with false flags and fake news, the need for critical thinking has never been higher. And studying history helps us to understand today, avoid repeating the mistakes of the past, think critically and catch governments out in lies. It helps us to forecast the future and it also helps us to solidify our cultural identity. Those are some useful skills to build, right? Being able to see clearly through the noisy, information-based society of today has gone from being a desirable skill to being an essential one. Now, I know what you're thinking. That all sounds amazing, but let's be honest, who's got time to do all that research? And well, that's why you need the Black History Buff podcast. Each week, I bring you a savory slice of history that's gonna challenge, enrich, and entertain you. The show will make you think, help you learn something new about your history or the history of a friend or loved one, or at the very least, give you an interesting story to tell the in-laws when the conversation gets dry. So do yourself a favor and click the link or Google Black History Buff Podcast and please come check out the show. All right, you can get back to scrolling now. See you later. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren, I'm musically challenged. So, today is our last episode of February. So, <sighs> I, it, It's bad for me to sigh like that, isn't it? Um, I don't mean it that way. I, I, I know what you mean, because the next episode <laughs> you get to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily that. It's just, you know, you you know me. Uh, we're talking about racism and discrimination on our podcast, and then in off podcast land, I'm arguing with Nazis. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I, because I'm just a glutton for punishment, just such a glutton for punishment. I need to argue with racists. You've you've got that sense of justice, and it's my Quaker ancestors who yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's my abolitionist ancestors that are like, this is wrong. How do you not understand this is wrong? Mm -hmm. Stop being wrong. Yeah, the one ancestor that was called a scoundrel for the stuff he was <laughs> doing that you know nowadays would be considered anti-racist action he'd probably be an antifa so <laughs> i come from a long line of uh white traitors <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, but the bizarre concept that somehow wanting fair and equal treatment for all human beings somehow makes you a traitor to mm. the group that mm. you were born into, that you didn't choose to be a part of, that you just happened you just happened to be white <laughs> it's, it's like it's like nationalism being born on a specific piece of soil and you're somehow supposed to be devout to that piece of soil yeah and somehow it's better than every other piece of soil because mm-hmm. you were born onto it yeah I, I i i am so sorry dear listeners i have been on a twitter tirade with white genocide people mm-hmm. aka mm-hmm. Nazis, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, as soon as we're done with this episode, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm going right back to it. <laughs> it's okay, I'll be going right into editing this episode. So. <laughs> and then you'll be hearing lots of cursing, probably. Yep. So, this will be a, uh, this will be kind of a fun episode, a fun show, uh, because we were, we are going to be covering George C. Wolfe's The Colored Museum. You've seen one thing directed by George C. Wolfe already. Uh, It was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But this is one that George C. Wolfe actually wrote. And this will be the first one of his that you've seen. Um, I love that last name. Wolfe. Yeah. Yeah. It's Wolfe with an E, but still. So. I know it's Wolfe. Oh! I love wolves. <laughs> Man, if my last name was Wolf, I would just I would just go by Wolf. I wouldn't even have people call me my first name. I'd just be like, I'm Wolf. Nice to meet you. So this is going to be the first show that he's written that you've seen. And I plan on covering more of him later. But for right now, we're covering a show of his that had some mixed reviews. And we'll go into why. But I still really like it. so this is another playwright who's still alive and who is also younger than my mom oh wow yeah that blew me away he was born september 23rd 1954 and is the son of costello wolf who was a government clerk who wrote for the u.s army newspaper in world war ii and anna wolf an educator who went on to get a doctorate from miami university so again comes from very well-educated people, very uh, respected people, Um, and he he is this artistic guy from the get-go, doing ceramics, doing art. Uh, In high school, he starts directing plays for his high school, but in college, it was the seeds for this play with music because it's called a play in most of the stuff I've seen, even though there are musical numbers in it, so it's not technical. It's it's labeled as a play, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the, the seeds were planted when Wolf was in college, and to quote Black Theater USA, Wolf, anxious to know the larger world, found his way to, P- to Pomona College in Claremont, California, where he wrote Up for Grabs, a satire on television game shows. At Pomona in 1976, he took a class with Angela Davis. Yes, the Angela Davis. Uh, The paper he submitted on theater stereotypes, she gave him an A+, was the seed concept for the Colored Museum, which he would write ten years later. And uh, his first play that would be performed was Tribal Rights or the Coming of the Great God Bird Nabuku to the Age of Horace Lee Lizer. 
which, according to Black Theater USA, is a Japanese theater Caribbean cartoon. And I actually can't find much else about this play, like what it's about, anything like that, um, which is too bad because I actually would be very interested to see this because... You know me, I'm a completionist with theater. <laughs> I'm a completionist with theater and with film size in El Apostol. Um, anyway, so I'm going to quote an article from the LA Times on George C. Wolfe regarding this one. La Times. And to, to reference, I'm going to be talking about a guy named Joseph Papp. We talked about him a little bit in the episode on Pirates of Penzance. And we'll be talking about him more when we do shows like A Chorus Line. What Joseph Papp uh, was crafting on the East Coast, a theater teeming with life and vitality, capitalizing on the textual richness of a complex city, C. Bernard Jackson was doing on the West Coast. During an early meeting with Jack back in 1977, I gave him the first scene from a play I was working on. I guess as some sort of homage to Abraham Lincoln, a synopsis of the rest of the play was written on an envelope. He called me the next day and said, here's some money, go do it. He didn't mean go finish writing it. He meant go do it, cast it, direct it, design it, rehearse it. And so I did. The pl name of the play was Tribal Rights or the coming of the great god bird Nabuku to the age of Horace Lee Lizer. Though I've been involved in many projects since, this production was perhaps the most crucial to my evolution, because it was someone like Jack, a person with his convictions, saying yes to me, I believe it deeply influenced the kind of artist I've become. Hmm. Yeah, so, you know, this producer sends him off to create a work of art. Go, young pap! Create! Oh, no. Oh. Wolf. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, Wolf is the one who... Go, uh, pup, Wolf. Create! <laughs> Go, he's, my pup. He's just a young pup trying to make his way in the world. <laughs> I'm sorry. In the back of my head, I'm still fighting with Nazis. So. <laughs> it's okay, baby. <laughs> so... George C. Wolfe's next major work would be Paradise, a satirical work that pointed out what Western greed does to the land it colonizes, which led to critics feeling called out and acting as if it was all about them and getting mad. <laughs> which, as, as you've heard me and other folks say, if it don't apply, let it fly. <laughs> but if it upsets you that much, it might be because you were the one doing what is being satirized. Yeah, or Just you benefit from it, sing. or you think it's a good idea, mm -hmm. or... Mm -hmm. Or, or, or. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Speaking of satire, Black Theater USA gives some background on his next satire and the one we'll be watching today, The Colored Museum. See, in the 80s, Wolf was working as an assistant librarian for the Hatch Bishops Collection. This is an archive of Black Theater that, goodness, I... Set me down in there with all of the archives, please. See, and I hear Hatch Bishops, and I just think of, like, Hatch Chilies, but they're, like, made to look like Bishop chess pieces. <laughs> I've also been playing chess on <laughs> online, so... That's a spicy diagonal move. <laughs> Speaking of, Warren looks over at the chess game. Yeah, I've got two pending moves. I'm going to move real quick. 
don't mind me doing a thing. Doop a doop doop do doop ba doop 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 ba ba. Got another one to do. I'm gonna go over here and make a move. Good job. You're not getting away. Come back here, Bishop. So, like I said, George C. Wolfe is working in this archive of black theater, which meant that Wolfe was able to comb through all of these plays and musicals, and this starts to influence his next work, which is why we're ending this year with this play. You've had some exposure to a variety of different shows. You've also had exposure to other things just by living with me and for being with me for almost 13 years. So I feel this show will be a great review for you, and I've watched it three times already this year. 2021's going to be our Baker's Dozen. Yes, it'll be our Baker's Dozen year. That's awesome. We should get a Baker's Dozen of donuts on our anniversary and just hork them all down. I like this idea. Yes. Ow! Anyway, so Colored Museum is first performed in 1986 at the New York Public Theater, brought to you in part by the aforementioned Joseph Papp. And, oh boy, here's how an article from the New New York Times began regarding this play. There comes a time when a satirical writer, if he's really out for blood, must stop clowning around and move in for the kill. That unmistakable moment of truth arrives about halfway through the colored museum, the wild new evening of black, black humor at the public theater. In a sketch titled The Last Mama on the Couch Play, the author George C. Wolfe says the unthinkable, says it with the uncompromising wit, and leaves the audience as well as a sacred target in ruins. The devastated audience, one should note, includes both blacks and whites. Mr. Wolf is the kind of satirist almost unheard of in today's timid theater who takes no prisoners. Ooh, that's a very, it's a very spine-tingly review mm. of the man. Yeah, and I, I was going to read you some more reviews from this, but I realized that it would spoil things. So I will just say there is nothing that is safe in this. Nothing. <laughs> I appreciate that, though. I mean, I, I mean, well, I shouldn't say I appreciate that, though, because, you know, I'm one of those things that I do find some things sacred, some things that should not be trifled with, but they're probably not things that he's going to no, poke fun at. But, like, he, he pokes fun at homophobia. He pokes fun oh, at good. Josephine Baker. He pokes fun at uh, the issues of hair in our culture. He pokes fun at... So uh, when you say the issues of hair, is it basically how natural black hair is not accepted by yeah, white society? Yeah, and like how, how we destroy our hair to try and uh, conform. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's actually in one of my favorite segments of this show um, that he does this, but also like trying to conform with whiteness, period. He pokes fun at Ebony Magazine. He pokes fun all sorts of stuff at basketball. Like... It's it's amazing. It is a funny show. And um, I don't want to go too much into George C. Wolfe as well, because we do have a lot of his work to cover later on, especially if we can get a hold of Jelly, Jelly's Last Jam 
bring into noise, bring into funk, and shuffle along, which again, if someone sends those to tonedeafmusical at gmail.com, I will appear to aid you when you need me the most. <laughs> There's no help like K. There's, There's no, no help, help like, like K. K. Send me those, send me any of those three and I will just appear. And if it's in the middle of an episode, Warren gets to do an episode. <laughs> Woo! But this man is prolific and is an amazing writer and director. Among his directing credits, besides what I just told you, were two Angels in America plays, which aren't musicals, but uh, we'll probably cover those someday because they are pretty landmark works. Carolina Change, which I scream about whenever it gets mentioned because I love it! And most recently on Broadway, one of my favorite titles for a show, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. <laughs> so that's my little presentation to get you ready for the Colored Museum. Do you have any questions before we go watch? Okay, so... Well, dang it. Okay, my, my questions are ones that I guess I shouldn't ask because they'll be answered as we watch the show. Mm -hmm. But... Okay, so I want to tell the audience and you what I'm thinking that the Colored Museum is, and I want to see how wrong I am. So, okay. I think that the Colored Museum is going to be a museum that has, like, wax figures of important people, and as they, like, go to each different, uh, 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 what's it called? Installment? Exhibit. Exhibit. The figure comes to life and, like, talks about whatever that thing is. And and there will be a a black security guard working the night shift. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the colored museum, not night at the colored museum. <laughs> well, I kind of went, I kind of, as I was watching your eyes, my brain then kind of went off, you were way off. And then, <laughs> so I just, I just threw a Hail Mary in there. I don't know. I'm still betting on wax figures that come to life to talk about black issues. Hmm. Not a, not a bad, not a bad thought. Not a bad thought. You know, that, that could be Warren's, uh. That could be Warren's uh, 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 placard. Warren, not a bad thought. <laughs> Vote Warren, not a bad thought. Hey, you're going to be 35 by the time that the next presidential election comes up, so. And I have just as much uh, political qualifications as the last candidate. Exactly. As the last president. Yeah, exactly. As, so... we've, as we've seen, it is an entry-level political position. Yes, so you could be president in and 2024. I promise not to run on racism. Uh, what would I run on? Uh, <laughs> vote for Warren. I will be the last president. Because <laughs> I will make myself emperor. <laughs> and I will rename America Land Awesome. <laughs> and I will guarantee to erect amusement parks everywhere and water slides everyone gets a water slide <laughs> tax the rich to pay for everyone's water slide and ice cream every friday is ice cream friday 
It's like an elementary schooler wanting to be class president. <laughs> I will add a third recess and a fourth recess. And every can... Friday will be pizza ice cream Friday. I can also see you giving back a lot of land. <laughs> That's one of the things that I won't run on, but I'll do when I get in office. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see, I see. Just like reparations. <laughs> <laughs> you won't run on it, but then suddenly it would be like, wait a minute. <laughs> Where'd this check come from? Uh-huh. I'll put Bezos in Guantanamo. <laughs> and Zuckerberg while I'm at it. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. We here at Tone Deaf say the rich taste good with barbecue sauce. Anyway, shall we go and watch? Or Frank's Red Hot. Or Frank's Red Hot. You can put that on anything. Shall we go watch the Colored Museum? Yes, before this gets even more off the rails. See, by the end of Black History Month, we're just like, we've pent up and had to censor ourselves so much, now we're going slap happy. And then the next show is a kid's movie. Oh, I'm going to curse like a sailor. I'm, I'm going to invent new curse words. You can bet on it. And that's one that my sister's going to sit in for. And they're going to be like, ow, I don't like hearing all these things, brother. And I'll be like, too bleepin' bad. <laughs> It'll be the bleep before, the, the land bleep before land bleep time. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Bleepity bleep. Let's see if Kay cuts this from the final episode. A eh, young listeners? <laughs> Let's go. Let's go bleep. Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our Patreon sponsors? It is! Woo! We would like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Jeff, Reagan, and Jasmine Wu. And our producer circle sponsors, Jesse, Bianucci, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. My name is Country Boy from the One My Black History Podcast, the Black History Podcast that chronicles little known incidents from African Americans in American history. And this clip is about the origins of Black History Month. Black History Month is the annual celebration of the study and achievements of African-Americans. And it was birthed from a time when African-Americans weren't being recognized for their central role in American history. Also known as African-American History Month, it grew out of Negro History Week, which was the brainchild of black historian Carter G. Woodson in 1915. Carter G. Woodson and prominent minister Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. This organization was dedicated to researching and promoting the achievements of African-Americans and people of African descent. If you enjoyed this clip and you'd like to learn more, join us at OneMikeHistory.com. And now... The lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show.
So, I know that the first couple of sketches were a little rough for you, but how did you feel about the Colored Museum? I'm actually not quite sure how I feel about this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like most audiences at the time. Um, well, because there, there was a lot of stuff that, because I'm not black and I didn't grow up with black culture and I'm mm-hmm. and it, it, I'm I, I'm outside looking in. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't get mm-hmm. to a, to to a certain extent. There are hey. some Oh, Steven is here by the way, dear listeners. Hey, man. He's on Kay's lap and he just gave Kay a bite on the hand. It was a love bite, but we don't love bite here. Oh. And then he immediately was like, "I'm sorry you shamed me in front of the audience." Yeah, and, he's uh, he's a little he's a little bit frisky right now, so I don't know how long he's going to be staying on this lap. Yeah, and I'm a little uh distracted in the back of my head because I'm mentally raging against the uh Nazis who got me a 12-hour Twitter ban because <laughs> I hurt their feelings. I hurt the little uh, Nazi's feelings. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't it that they say that facts don't care about your feelings? I guess. I don't know. Huh. I, I guess it only works for them. You know. Mm. You know, bigots and mm. cowards mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, can't we all just get along? Except for Nazis. Not. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I have mixed feelings about this show. Uh, uh, I think... I. I think the largest reason why is because so much of it I just didn't get. Yeah. And that's why. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so much of it is just uh, completely obtuse to me. Mm-hmm. It's stuff that you at the most have secondhand knowledge of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the skits, as we'll talk about, I was kind of just like, I'm just accepting this in the spirit that it's being presented because i have no idea there is so much symbolism in this show (laughs) y'all especially towards the end (laughs) yes (laughs) and we'll get into that one because i found an essay for you that will explain that one because it is weird k to the rescue i try so the show opens up with a <laughs> and everyone is having a good old time, except for Warren, because the first segment is about slave ships. Shackles must be worn. No singing, because that can be <laughs> that can be code for rebellion. And no drums. But one of the unfortunate passengers is not listening and is playing drums. And this stewardess is way too chipper and talking about how the suffering of these slaves is going to be worth it, because in the future. They'll learn great songs and dances and become millionaires due to the magic of bouncy basketball. Yes, because it's following Miss Pat, your stewardess, taking you on the celebrity slave ship. Yes. Get on board, celebrity slave ship. Get on board, celebrity slave ship. Get on board, celebrity slave ship. There's room for many a more, is the jingle yeah, to that. You, you're packed in there. And, and there's lots of imagery they show yes. to go along with it too, like historical drawings and mm-hmm. and diagrams of how they would cram as many slaves into a ship as possible. Yes, and in the stage version, if you wouldn't have screens to project that on, then it is fully 
reliant upon the acting of Miss Pat to Yay. to show what's going on and it's it's reliant on knowing what is being said and having seen that imagery before in textbooks which probably they don't publish that in textbooks anymore i don't know mm, depends and uh yeah so in case anybody was wondering i was completely wrong there are no wax depictions of people <laughs> there is no security guard at night this is not really a museum uh <laughs> well, it's it's so the party at the start is like the gala at the at an exhibit opening, and so that's what the party at the beginning and the end are. Is yeah, and each your scene museum is like patrons exhibit one, exhibit two, exhibit mm -hmm. three, but they just go to different scenes. There's there's no like yeah. I, for whatever reason, in my head, I was thinking you'd be more like walking to an exhibit and then being at the exhibit and seeing the exhibit give you the knowledge and then going to the next mm -hmm. exhibit but instead it's done in a more somatic uh cinematic way Not yes <laughs> and in the stage version it would have like a rotating stage that would have each exhibit as each scene so um it would it would be like that would be how the scene would change is on a turntable or something like that to to in in the off-broadway version and in versions where you have a higher budget, that's what it would be. So, similar to the ill-fated America Sings ride at Disneyland, but less Imagineers, Fungineers, whatever they're called, less cast members crushed in between the sets. <laughs> <laughs> oh... So speaking of good things like people getting crushed to death, uh, so yes, in this opening scene, there's a whole bunch of horrible imagery of black people being beaten, hung, whipped, and generally abused. The a lot of the woodcuts from the era. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, the stewardess takes a call from the cabin, and we go into a time warp, where we get a super quick recap of important events like the Civil War, the World Wars, and other wars, all that things that black people were participants in, and uh, the civil rights movement. The drums intensify, and the stewardess keeps telling the passengers to repeat after her and say that they do not hear the drums and they will not rebel. Mm -hmm. The slave plane lands, and the stewardess tells everyone to grab their bags, because any baggage that they don't grab will be trashed. And we see a luggage carousel with bags and uh, slaves, because... Mm -hmm. Slaves were property, and like the, bags. And the way that the actors portray, they do it kind of like they are animatronics. Yeah. Where they just sort of move back and forth. They have a limited, a... A limited uh, mm -hmm. range of motion that they're just kind of repeating. Yes, and uh, in the script, it's stated that they have ID tags, like baggage <sighs> tags around their necks. Well, they had shackles. So. And it's one of those things that in the in the next scene, when they talk about humor, that's how we tend to deal with stuff, is that it's like, like there is dark humor in this, because yes, that's, there what, is. that's what we as a people have had to do to cope with what has happened, is we have to, we have to be funny because otherwise we will cry and scream and rage and it won't look pretty. Then get the cops called on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so this opening section is, uh, 
making me want to go back and argue with Nazis even more than I already do, but <laughs> I still have to wait another 12 hours and 50-something minutes. <laughs> Part two, or I should say exhibit two, cooking with Aunt Ethel, where we get to explore the wonders of black cuisine. Aunt Ethel has some spicy Cajun pipes with some blues, and uh, she sings about making a batch of... So, basically she's talking about, you know, First you add a pinch of style, and then a dash of flair. Now stir in some preoccupation with the texture of your hair. And goes on later talking about, you know, you add a heap of survival and humility just a touch. Add in some attitude. Whoops, I put in too much. And goes on a little bit more. And my favorite bit uh, is after she's talking about, you know, uh, that you have to beat it, really work it, discard and disown. And in a few hundred years, once it's aged and fully grown, you put it in the oven till it's black and has a sheen. Or till it's a nice shade of yellow. Or any shade in between. I can't do the song part there because it's a bridge and it's different um but basically she is singing you have baked yourself a batch of negroes yes you have baked yourself baked yourself a batch of negroes and then tells you but don't ask me what to do with them now that you got them because child that's your problem and then goes on to say that she's going to be cooking up a nice chitlin quiche, some grits under glass, and a sweet potato pie. Because you've been cooking with Aunt Ethel. <laughs> and I apologize for the really bad singing here. I am not warmed up at all. That was not bad at all. I actually was quite enjoying it. Well, thank you. Exhibit 3. The Photo Session. Two well-dressed runway models talk about how they couldn't handle the contradiction of their existence and forget the pain of yesterday. So instead, they live in Ebony Magazine where they don't do anything to help black people just smile <laughs> and look fabulous mm -hmm. all while holding things for ads. There's no pain but inner pain. I, uh, it, I love this. It, it, why don't you talk about it, Kay? So... They're dancing and posing as you're hearing, we're fabulous. And I, I love this bit where you realize, like, what the overarching theme of this exhibit is after they're talking about, you know, last month I was black and fabulous while holding up a bottle of vodka. This month we get to be black and fabulous together. There are, of course, setbacks. We have to smile like this for a whole month. And we have no social life. And no sex. At times, it feels like we're suffocating. Like we're not human anymore. And everything is rehearsed. Including this other kind of pain we're starting to feel. The kind of pain that comes from feeling no pain at all. It is all about assimilation. And that is what our first few exhibits after Cooking with Aunt Ethel start to show is the need the, it's the ways the unhealthy coping mechanisms for pain that we deal with it's the oh we have to assimilate into a culture destroy everything that's us or oh may as well just 
stop it may as well just kill us before we experience that pain things like that for the uh next exhibit it's basically you've got all of these ways of trying to cope with the white supremacist structure in ways that still hurt you including the well we'll just show that we're fabulous there's no pain at all we're not showing any pain what pain no pain i can't feel pain i look so great yeah and the more that you do it the more it's gonna eat at you inside and the more it's gonna just hurt and hurt and so that's where this one is talking about like yeah sure it's great that we get to be black and fabulous but what about everything else we can't say we can't speak out if we're being black and fabulous we can't show any other emotion except smiling because we're black and fabulous and this this is that period of time in uh a little bit of the 80s and 90s where there's a lot of I don't know, a lot of glossing over of stuff that's happened because we're trying really hard to forget it. And it comes up in waves in our community a lot. Like, there was a period of time where it was, we tried to forget that slavery happened. And, like, jumping the broom was gone for a while because that was tied to slavery. All sorts of stuff that we had to throw out that baggage and try to not have it there. But it's like, but it is there because we dealt with it for hundreds of years and you can't just throw it away, especially if the country that you're living in won't let you. Okay, gets off the soapbox. I feel a little lied to about the lead up to Colored Museum, just saying. Well, I mean, the first few, you have, remember, you have to have the pain before you can have the fun of hairpiece, last mom on the couch, the party, Miss Raj. The white man in the room is uncomfortable, (laughs) y'all. And let's go into it. Exhibit four, Soldier with a Secret. Soldier knows the secret to your pain. He didn't always know. He had to die and come back. The undead soldier explains that he was uh, set up, sent up, sorry, as a scout, but he was caught in a booby trap and in an explosion. All around him is fire and pain, his flesh searing and burning. He's cooking like a chicken being fried in grease. The soldier explains that the reason he was on fire but didn't feel pain was because he was dead. And he walked out of that explosion expecting to see white clouds and his mama and Jesus. But all he saw was an assault, the rest of his platoon preparing for an attack. The soldier cries out to his fellow soldiers, but no one can hear him. The soldier explains that he could see what was going to happen to the other soldiers when they went home, as if he could see into their future of pain. One would be shot by police, another would be abusive to his wife. This war was going to change them for the worse, and the secret to their pain was, uh, murder, I guess? The soldier isn't dead anymore. The medics checked him over and, uh, said he was fine and could continue duty. Or, you know, he's he's fine for a man who was exploded. Mm-hmm. So this undead soldier decides to go around 
and prevent the future hurt by taking an empty needle that he stole from the medics and injecting just a little bit of air into the veins of the men who are going to cause future pain after this war. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Mm-hmm. And this one, the, the actor in particular, gave a very, very mm-hmm. emotional recounting of talking about the pain that he could see that these men were going to experience and were going to then propagate onto other people. Because, fun fact, uh, the reason PTSD exists is because humans are not made to commit atrocities mm-hmm. and to be a part of war. That's why it messes people up forever afterwards. Yep. Uh, yeah. And that's what this one is partially about, is that it's about the fact that we don't deal with it, and it's about that desperation of like, well, might as well just die. Might as well die to prevent the future pain kind mm-hmm. of thing. And also it's a bit of a commentary on how uh, America likes to make vets, but not take care of those mm-hmm. vets. And especially Vietnam. black vets. Oh, yeah. Especially black vets. It's it, in the stage direction for this, it's very... Uh, it's very it's a very good way of setting up the this scene projected onto the museum walls are the faces of black soldiers from the spanish-american through the vietnam war lights slowly reveal junie robinson a black combat soldier posed on an onyx plinth and then he comes to life and smiles at the audience somewhat dim-witted he has an easygoing charm about him and that's what makes this so, like, who is that he's doing all of this with this unwell smile. And he, he it's interesting they're saying that, that stage description because he kind of reminded me of Private Memphis from Soldier's Play. Yes! Uh, he had that kind of well-meaning, jovial, mm-hmm. country boy mm-hmm. lilt to his speech and just kind of like you... You know, like I had mentioned in, in the soldier's play, uh, he seemed like he was probably drafted. He didn't volunteer. He mm-hmm. doesn't have the, the the attitude of somebody who went to war willingly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so these these ones are basically what you're getting right now is the experience. You are getting the experience of what... It, it's the experience of the pain that you have inside your brain all the time, but the pain later on leads to the humor. You don't get the humor and you don't get the good things without going through that. Exhibit 5, The Gospel According to Miss Raj. So this one, you're going to have to... I'll, I'll read my notes and mm-hmm. then you you can say more about it because this one... uh. I think there's probably a whole world of things that I missed. You've you've not ever been to drag shows or anything like that, so no. I've I've been I've been a bad bi non-binary person, and I haven't introduced you to the wonderful world of drag. It's well, I mean, to be fair, it's never been something. To be fair, to be fair it's never been something because I have seen 
you know, media with drag people in it. I've never seen that and been like, that's something that I really want to watch more of. It's just not something that appeals to me. It's not part of my my. It's my different seeing it live. It's very different seeing it live. <laughs> Fair? I mean, I could see going to a drag performance to support a friend who's mm-hmm. in it kind of thing, much in the same way that I go to church to support people. <laughs> But it's not I mean, for me, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I can be supportive of things that I don't understand. Yep. Uh, but yes, we are at a club called The Bottomless Pit. And Miss Raj, who says that God created black people and black people created style. Miss Raj says that they're here to answer the great question. Is there life after Jerry Curl? (laughs) (laughs) The bottomless pit is not lacking in diversity, but the specialty of the house is the queens who... The snap queens. Sorry, my bad. Yes, the snap queens who are a rare breed. When something strikes their fancy, passing through the dark, they must announce it with a... As we all know, snapping comes from another galaxy. Miss Raj says that they are an extraterrestrial, not an E.T. like those in the movies, but one that has real power. Miss Raj says that there is a place here on Earth to study the ha- that they are here on Earth to study the habits of people. But before they reveal this divine truth, they need to show off their outfit. Oh, and uh, demons are real. They live in Miss Raj's Bacardi and Coke. <laughs> dancing demons. Miss Raj has to dance these demons out before they get out of hand. Miss Raj then tells a story about their father who was taken by their demons and call it, and uh, the drunk calling them slurs over and over again. So Miss Raj did the only thing one could do. Kick that drunk into a closet and lock it. Three days later, Miss Raj remembered that they were in there and let them out. Miss Raj dares anyone to mess with them, because they will into oblivion. With each, they steal one beat of your heart. So if you find yourself gasping in the night, you must have crossed Miss Raj. Miss Raj talks about a muscle man who hurled a series of insults at Miss Raj. Miss Raj delivered a flurry of snaps. And the man dropped dead of a heart attack right there on the beach. Cross Miss Raj and find out. Miss Raj says they're here because the flashing lights. The flashing lights remind them of the lights from above. Another galaxy where they're from. The lights that tell them how long they have until the end. Miss Raj then sends, says it's the last call, the last dance before the end. So dance your last dance, people. Prepare for the end. So saith Miss Raj. Miss Raj seems to be taken by the demons after their many, many drinks on stage and tells the audience to snap for all the horrible things. The homeless person ignored, the suicide who feared murder, and other bad things. Miss Raj then tells people that their snap is so powerful, you'll never hear a snap again and not think of Miss Raj. Mm -hmm. The end of that exhibit anyway. Yes. And it's, it's very much a, it's, it's a, it's, it's something that is, 
still an issue because this tackles it at the time they were considering this tackling homophobia i honestly feel it more tackles transphobia which but i i think it's i think it's yes i think mm-hmm. the, the the bulk of the lion's share probably is specifically targeted towards trans but with the way that they word a lot of the slurs that they're talking yeah, about it's... it also incorporates gay culture mm-hmm. but given that miss raj is a male presenting performer in you in know, drag in drag uh that it does make it seem like it's more geared towards the the how how disproportionately black trans women are mm-hmm. murdered yeah and victims of abuse black trans women black gender non-conforming people uh black gay men are killed at an alarming rate it's it's very much a a thing where this is a this is a, another thing that the culture has to deal with and that the culture has to uh do better with and especially at this time it's kind of powerful to see this in a play written by a black man in the 80s that is huge that is huge and uh in this it's in the script it's very much rod miss raj is a drag queen so prob and a gay drag queen so probably a gay man dresses in drag but the same things that miss raj says very much echo transphobia and it's it's one of this is one of my favorite exhibits this one uh, the next one that's coming up is another favorite exhibit, as well as Last Mama on the Couch. Um, but I and and the uh, symbiosis is another one that I really like. I basically after from this point on, I feel are some of the best exhibits. That's true. This point forward, uh, I will say I enjoyed the show more. Mm-hmm. I guess it's yes yeah yeah good there i mean there are some weird parts later that i just don't understand mm-hmm. uh but yes i will agree the next few exhibits are are amazing yeah they're pretty amazing good. and this one i just i love that like towards towards the end of miss rogers monologue because almost all of these are monologues with the exception of uh the hairpiece and symbiosis and mama on the couch they're all monologues and so with this one i love uh come on and dance your last dance with miss raj last call is but a drink away and each snap puts you one step closer to the end a high rise goes up you can't get no job come on everybody and dance a whole race of people gets trashed and debased snap those fingers and dance some sick bee throws her baby out a window because she thinks it's the devil. Everybody snap! The New York Post, snap! Snap for every time you walk past someone lying in the street smelling from frozen piss and, and you don't see it. Snap for every crazed bastard who kills himself so as to get the jump on being killed. And snap for every sick MF who who's bored with carrying around his fear, takes to shooting up other people. I love these lines. George C. Wolfe is a genius. And this 
especially from here, this is where you start getting the sort of, okay, we've dealt with the pain. Now we're going to start adding in a little bit more humor. We're going to start adding in, hey, there are better ways to handle the pain. Fair. Very fair. Mm -hmm. But you have to have the pain before you... You have to have the rain before the rainbow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know me, though. Just, I, I, I... Because I, because the black pain that's being talked about, I know what caused it. Mm-hmm. I know what caused it. Yeah, and, and I'm just, and it, it, it. This teaches the coping mechanism. This fills me with such white hot fury. Okay, uh, next exhibit. Yes, <laughs> exhibit number six, the hairpiece, which Cage has told me is their favorite exhibit. Mm-hmm. We see a black woman who is sad about their baldness and covers their head with a towel. They then start to hum as they put on earrings and look into the mirror, applying makeup. There are two busts on the table, both holding wigs, and these two busts come to life and start to mock the bald woman, saying that she fried her hair and chemical dyed her head into baldness. The two heads gossip about how girlfriend here is pretty enough and has a good head on her shoulders, even if she did hook up with that political quick-change artist, whose she's getting ready to go dump, actually. The two heads argue about whose hair she's going to wear to their luncheon dump. The heads start to talk to girlfriend, and girlfriend is like, I'm having a nervous breakdown. The two heads argue about who she's going to wear, and girlfriend is like, I haven't decided. And the two heads are like, what do you mean you haven't decided? (laughs) And Afro head is like, I mean business. You're going to wear me. And bangs and shoulder length head is like, no, you want me. Because you can shake me back and forth and whip me to and fro. And Afro is like, oh, please, Barbie head dipped in chocolate. You want a head... (laughs) You want a head of hair that says you're coming from a real place. And Chocolate Barbie is like, oh, please, Miss Made in Taiwan. (laughs) And the two heads argue more and more. And the arguing intensifies as girlfriend begins to chew her nails in a panic before reaching out, grabbing both heads in screaming in defiance as she rips the hair from the, uh, the, uh, the busts. And all three of them scream and then fade to black, and end exhibit six. Yes, the woman screams and pulls the two wigs off of the wig stands as the lights go to black on three bald heads. Three bald heads. Mm -hmm. And I do, I I do, I do know what this one is about, Kay. You'll Mm -hmm. be proud. Mm -hmm. It's because of, of, of the stigma of... Black women not being allowed to have their hair natural, mm-hmm. like whether it be school or in the workplace or all these places that the 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 garbage of like oh well your your frizzy hair is distracting mm-hmm. or you can't wear braids because they're mm-hmm. distracting or or you know wearing it in cornrows it's not you know acceptable mm-hmm. and so women go through pains black women go through painstaking t- uh, uh, lengths to chemically straighten their hair mm-hmm. and stuff like that so that they can have, you know, acceptable, quote-unquote, acceptable hair. Mm-hmm. And it damages it. And Yep. I know you've talked about having hair fall out because of chemical straightening. And yeah. That your hair is still healing from that. Yeah, I straightened my hair chemically at 14 to... And it was one of those things where I didn't want to say the real reason when I was 14 
But as I got older, I became more open to my mom about, yeah, it's because I don't fit in. I am the only kid with my hair type in class. And then find out that everyone's getting their hair permed. And I had girls trying to have me braid their hair, which, I mean, I can, but... See, I feel so much of... of and I, I am dealing with this, with the arguing of Nazis mm-hmm. on freaking Twitter. <laughs> it's so transparent how so much of the desire to to persecute others comes from a sense of... of, of uh, uh, a sense of insecurity mm-hmm. and so they have to lash out against other people for having traits that they secretly wish that they had yeah mm. 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 so exhibit seven symbiosis this scene uh for me personally i feel like is the most culturally relevant mm-hmm. to 2021 yes um and it's it's this one I, I I have never had to deal with anything in this scenario, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it hit me. Yeah. Kind of thing. Just from a, 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 a sympathy yeah. standpoint. An, a, an, empathetic, an empathetic standpoint. So, Exhibit 7, Symbiosis. We see a man in a suit putting his briefcase on a trash can as he opens it up and pulls out some sneakers. His first pair of Converse All-Star. Gone. He puts them into the dumpster next to him. His first Afro comb. Gone. Thrown into the dumpster. His first dashiki. Gone. Thrown into the dumpster. The man starts narrowing his first... Starts uh, narrating his first. His first this. His first that. As he's throwing them away into the dumpster. Mm -hmm. He's throwing away aspects of his black self. Aspects of who he was. Are being thrown away. The man's... Black self, who later I'll call kid, but the man's mm-hmm. black self is like, why are you throwing away all this stuff? This is our stuff. This is your stuff. And the man in the suit tells his other self that he has to change, that this is the other self, and that the other self has to go. He's going to be part of white society. Johnny in the suit throws away one, throws away more things, and then we get to the Temptations' greatest hits. His Mm -hmm. alter self swoops in to grab the record, and he won't part with it. Alternate self tries to talk to Johnny Suit and tells him to dance to my girl by the Temptations. It's the greatest song of all time! But Johnny Suit isn't having any of it. But Kid Johnny uses a force choke to squeeze Johnny Suit's heart, telling him that he's here to stay, that he's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how many silk ties you put on. It doesn't matter how how much you you try to appease it doesn't matter he's part of your past and you can't trash it kid johnny isn't going anywhere suit johnny rises up from the floor and composes himself straightening his suit all while kid johnny tries to apologize and explain that he had to squeeze his heart because johnny was talking all crazy like and suit johnny then lunges at kid johnny and chokes him to death killing his past self Mm-hmm. He picks up the body and puts him in the dumpster and closes the lid on him, saying that he has no history. He has no past. He must be able to smile on cue, watch the news with an impersonal eye, and have no stake in the madness. Being black is too emotionally taxing. Johnny closes his briefcase, 
saying that he will be black only on weekends and holidays, and he walks off. But not before stopping and grabbing the Temptations record, which is lying on the floor. Singing the song briefly, he walks over to the dumpster to throw away the record. And as he lifts the lid, Kid Johnny pops up, grabbing suit and saying, What's happening? Mm-hmm. I really, really, really like that scene. Yeah. The, the conflict between... You have, like, the business, you know, the adult side of this man trying to kill his past to mm-hmm. undo the the side of him that was like, yeah, black power, you know, yeah, let's fight for equality, yeah, like, be proud of being black, embrace, you know, a- a- you know, some of your heritage and stuff like that. And instead he's like, I can't do it because society, it's too, it's too emotionally taxing to try and be that person. Mm-hmm. It is easier for me if I just try to conform if I talk white, if I just try to be one of the good ones, quote-unquote. Yes. And even though he literally murders that side of himself and mm-hmm. throws it in the dumpster, that's some powerful imagery right there when he does that, yes. closing the lid on it, that yes. bam, that signifying that, like, it's like, when that bam, it's like a na- it's like nailing a coffin mm-hmm. shut. And then when he goes to throw away that that Temptations record, what I like about, and I maybe I'm completely wrong, but mm-hmm. what I took from that is because as he's throwing away stuff, throwing away stuff, you know, his kid Johnny is like, no, don't do man, don't do that. Like, the, well, what about that? Mm-hmm. And then he gets to the Temptation CD, and that's when kid Johnny's like, no, 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 no. He grabs mm-hmm. that, and he's like, you cannot throw away the Temptations. And mm-hmm. they get into the fight about that. And then when... uh suit johnny picks up the temptations you know he's actually humming singing, my girl singing yeah. a bit of the song you know but he's like i can't you know i gotta get rid of this i guess it's part of my past i have no past i need to get rid of it but i think that him allowing himself to to embrace that small part of his past with singing it revitalized yes his past self yes it did and so when he goes to throw it away mm-hmm. he basically he is basically um in his own subconscious, mm-hmm. admitted to himself that he cannot separate his past from who he is because yeah. his past is a part of him. Mm-hmm. And that's when I loved his kid Johnny pops up and he's like, what's happening? Yep. He's like, you thought you got rid of me. I'm not going anywhere. Yes. And there is a bit from uh, the San Bernardino County Sun that I almost brought up. Uh, before I went, no, no, I can't spoil this scene for Warren. So, such is the case in a poignant sketch two-thirds of the way through the show in which a well-to-do black man stands at a a garbage dumpster throwing away his heritage, his first Afro comb, his first dashiki, his first jar of pomade, and several records by by the likes of Sly Stone and The Temptations. A radical street youth witnesses this and loudly protests, but the well-to-do man says to him, It's all going. Anything that connects me to you, to who I was, to what we were, is out of my life. The reason that he explains is that his revival, i.e. his continued success, in in the predominantly white corporate world depends on it. The obvious message here, however, is that blacks shouldn't throw away their cultural legacy as they integrate themselves as equal members of society. The past, even the parts of it that have become stereotyped, makes them proud and strong. 
the message is universal. No culture should make such sacrifices. Wolf effectively communicates his ideas because he knows how to use laughter as a great unifier. Blacks have united in this country to establish a rich, vital culture, and blacks and non-blacks in the audience celebrate that as they laugh together throughout the play. And uh, I, it's, it's one of the masterpieces of George Wolf, in my opinion. I think this show, because it has been performed uh, as recently as 2016, I think it's due for a revival. Like, add in some new stuff. Add in some yeah. new exhibits. Because we had Barack Obama. Yeah. That's a whole exhibit on itself. That's a whole exhibit of... right there. And I think I think a great way... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. Oh, but... I was just going to say, like, we had Barack Obama. And that led to a new reaction to that and us surviving that reaction. Add in Black Lives Matter because that's a new thing. Like, oh, George, if you're listening, because I know you are, revival time. We're we're living in a uh, we're living in a very interesting time because mm-hmm. we have this this kind of maelstrom coming together of because right now we're dealing with a, a second wave of the satanic panic mm-hmm. and the red scare mm-hmm. and civil rights. Like we're getting all these things swirling together, and we're dealing with with. A lot of the unresolved issues of the past are, yes. are, you know, it's like skipping on a record. It's coming mm-hmm. back around, and we're having to deal with it again because it was not resolved the first time. Yes. And I think I absolutely agree with what you're saying, and I was thinking about the, mm-hmm. the, the Barack Obama exhibit could be really well done because it could be a way of you have a character who's playing Obama talking about mm-hmm. different important black, you know, historical figures who made progress to get... To the point where we could have a black president mm-hmm. kind of thing like the, the boundary breakers and stuff mm-hmm. like that and but yeah i think a colored museum too would be because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the colored museum i don't because when you say revival i feel like it deserves an actual sequel mm-hmm. kind of thing because i because mm. leaving it as it is now because it because it, what, what it talks about is important and i feel like it could be you you don't need to get rid of what is there, and I feel like keeping it is important, but so much has happened since this mm-hmm. show was done mm-hmm. that you could do a whole other thing. Don't you? Well, maybe? Maybe. So the one reason that I'm saying revival is because a scene has been removed from this already. Oh. And that is Lala's opening, which is a sort of woman's version of symbiosis but about josephine baker Mm. and by the end of that one though she comes into her own rather than throwing out the trash Mm. and uh like the the ending of this skit um you have i must tell you this dream i had last night simply magnifique simply magnifique uh French! (laughs) In this dream, I'm running naked in Sammy Davis Jr.'s hair. Yes, (laughs) I'm caught in this larger-than-life deep dark forest of savage, nappy, nappy hair. The kinks are choking me, wrapped around my naked arms, thighs, breast, face. I can't breathe, and there was nothing in that closet. And I'm thinking, if only I had a machete. 
If I could cut away the kinks, remove once and for all the roughness. But then I look up and it's coming toward me, flowing like lava, it's pomade. Oh, Sammy, Sammy. Yes, cakes and cakes of pomade, making everything nice and white and smooth and shiny like my black, white, black, white, black, white, black behiney. Mama, no. And then the spikes start cutting through the pomade, combing the coated kink, cutting through the kink into me. There are bloodlines on my back, on my thighs. It's all over, all over, all over me, all over me. And she pulls off her wig and reveals her real hair because she's had this straight wig and pulls off, stripped of her disguise. She recoils and like a scared little girl, sings and she sings this childhood song mommy and daddy meet and mate the child that's born is torn with love and with hate she runs away to find her own and tries to deny what she's always known the girl inside the closet door opens lala runs away and a little black girl emerges from the closet standing behind her is her black maid admonia the little girl and Lala are in two isolated pools of light and mirror each other's moves until Lala reaches past the reflection and the little girl comes to Lala and they hug. That's really interesting. I like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's And that I, was cut I, from the version that we saw. I'm just saying, I uh, I really approve of your reading of that. Oh, well, thank uh, you. <laughs> yes. One thing I want to mention to the listeners is that I was surprised at how short this show was. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, uh, 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 I have a, a similar feeling to For Colored Girls in that it's very rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there is no... There's no break. Yeah, and there is no intermission planned in this yeah, show. There's no break. It's just just mm-hmm. straight through. Mm-hmm. And which and that thought made me kind of think, well, cuz you're talking about a uh, 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 revision or uh, mm-hmm. uh, revival um adding in stuff, you could extend the length and maybe put in an intermission. Mhm. I don't you know. Could. You definitely could cuz I feel like you can't do anything in the black experience without the first part. No, it, especially you have to have that first yeah, part. You have to have the, the 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 really bad stuff because that's how black people got here. Was yeah, the really bad stuff. We we had our culture robbed from us. We we were beaten. We were broken. We were and treated like animals. Treated like animals, and then we had to create a culture of our own and. Black culture is so different from anything else. It is so different from anything else. It's why it, it's one of those things where even like, even though I am in the Mountain West, I still have resonance with other black people outside of the Mountain West. We all have this universal experience because we all came from that. It's very different from anywhere else in the world. And so that's why I feel like making Colored Museum into a two-act, or if you truly have taken away uh, Lala's opening, which is okay. It's okay to take it out, but (laughs) I like it. Um, (laughs) But you, if you don't have that one, then put in a new one. Put in something to add in at the end with... Do you think Lala's was taken out because of the hair, the hairpiece one? Because no. you have two different ones with women talking about it, their hair and bulping... It would have been... 
there's one of two two reasons that I could think of. Either sim either symbiosis does enough that because symbiosis is universal even for black women because we can yeah. think of that too of like oh yeah the free Angela Davis button I'm throwing that in the trash free that like just that is definitely a um that one is very universal for all black people that one applies to a broad spectrum yeah and lala's opening is very much for black women and uh we do have one later that's for black women as well and i'll get i'll explain it you, to you, you know that's the one that's completely <laughs> over my head yes yes i'll explain that one to you but you know I, I, that's one of the two reasons. The other reason is the obvious one, time. Mm. Because this was a, uh, great performances on PBS. So mm. you have to cut things down for time and, uh, that would have added in another whole segment. And when you're going through, that is the one that you can remove because the other ones you have to keep in. Even permutations... You need to have in. <laughs> and we'll get to that one. But um, that's that's kind of where I'm thinking of it. Which, by the way, I didn't shout it out yet. But uh, the version that we saw is on the YouTube channel Real Black. It's the same channel that we used for Harlem is Heaven last year. And it's R-E-E-L. Yes, R-E-E-L, like a film real black. And they're fantastic. Um, they have all sorts of like really hard to find shows and um i i really i really recommend going through the catalog on their channel it's amazing so that was when i saw that they had colored museum i freaked out <laughs> uh yeah Kay did yes so on to the next one all righty exhibit eight the last mama on the couch play. <laughs> a man in a suit is sitting in a chair, reading a book. He looks into the camera and says, We're proud to bring you another mama on the couch play. <laughs> there is a couch with a mama on it. Both are well worn. There is a picture of Jesus on the wall. Bing! There is a window which looks out onto a worn... What did he say? Abandoned tenement. Abandoned tenement. That's like an abandoned apartment building, right? Yeah, tenements would have been uh, your precursor to... Well, they're not really a precursor to apartments because apartments existed at the same time. Is it like a project? Tenements are the really, really ratty, not not well-maintained... Uh, multi-family dwellings that with a shared bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then uh, we have enter Mama's thirty-year-old son, whose brow is furrowed and heavy from three hundred years of oppression. And I didn't and write down his name. So. I've got his name. <laughs> it is Walter Lee Bo Willie Jones. Yes, <laughs> Walter Lee Bo Willie Jones. <laughs> Uh, yes, the man is every character from just about every show Kay and I have watched this year for Black History Month. <laughs> the man's mama keeps telling him to wipe his feet, but the man is like, Gah, I have a dream. I want to be somebody, but mama wants me to wipe my feet. Mama is like, God will show us the way. 
And Black Sun is like, God don't care about the black man. And Mama is like, I'm going to get out of this couch and slap you for talking about God. Mm-hmm. And she does. Slappity slap. And the narrator rushes on stage to give her an award for how amazing her performance was. (laughs) And now enters the lady in plaid, the the son's wife. And she's in braids and with rubber gloves is holding a toilet brush and talking into it like a microphone. She's unhappy with her 30-year-old husband still living with his mama. And the son just wants his dinner after a hard day of dealing with the man. The lady in plaid goes on about how this is not the life befitting a queen. And the son grabs their children dolls and is like, cook me dinner or I'll kill the children. And he throws them out the window. The narrator comes out and takes the award from mama to give it to the woman in plaid for her heartfelt performance as she cries over her children being thrown out the window. And I love, I love how it's like, okay, Raisin in the Sun, we've got Sidney Poitier's acting, but two turned up to 11. <laughs> he, the, the actor playing him, he, he, he seemed like, like, I'm sure he wasn't, but like the way he just kept moving and just his body was like that. It's like, he's on meth. Like, it, it's, and I'm sure it it's was very much making fun of the, ex- the, 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 the very, uh, uh, exuberant. Acting. Uh, acting, yes. Yes, and uh, Lady in Plaid, which show is she referencing? I want to say it's for Colored Girls. Yes! Okay. She is exactly for Colored Girls. Complete. She is basically that, uh, she is the one uh, Unless, monologue where she's talking Where the children about, get killed. Like, well, she's both that one, but before that, she's also the monologue about, um... Why am I not remembering her name? Uh, the, the Louisiana yes, Festival. Yes, the Bayou Queen. The Bayou and Queen. Stuff. And so yeah, because I got that feeling because she's very much like, you know, dancing and mm-hmm. stuff like that and talk about, uh, you know, very much like the goddess of... Yes. Of... She was a creature of regal beauty who in ancient time graced the temples of the Nile with her womanliness. And he even writes her uh, speech a little bit in poetry. So that, like, he doesn't do the slashes or anything, but if you are into theater, then you know exactly who she's supposed to be and know exactly how you're supposed to act her. And I just love it. So after the lady in plaid. Yes. Uh, Next entering the scene is the sister, Medea, who is all decked out in African garb and talking with a Shakespearean lilt (laughs) and all poetic and stuff. Basically being like, if we try to be well, are we being well for ourselves or like our oppressors? And her brother is like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And Medea gets even more Shakespearean as she does an interpretive dance. And the woman in plaid is like, I didn't understand anything you said, but you used them words. So here's the award. And she gives her the award. Yeah. And the son is like, Wait a dang moment. This is about me and my pain and my battle with the man. And the cops show up, and over the loudspeaker, we hear them yelling at him for overacting. Yep. And as the son approaches the window, he's shot by police. Son, no! Don't go near that window! Son, no! Blam, 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 blam. And Mama rocks and rocks to the... Uh, sorry, and Mama rocks and rocks to... 
work up the momentum to get out of her couch. I love that. That's such a good touch. What I like about that, the well-worn couch, because it implies it's like really sinking, you know, a really sinky couch. Yes. And uh, she gets out of the couch and gives a eulogy about her fallen son, who was just like his father and his father's father and his father's father's father i've got that monologue (laughs) you can read it after i read my note and how he's dead couch mama falls to her knees over her son's dead body and laments about her how her son was not born into a world with no well-worn couches and no well-worn mamas who sit on well-worn couches and they're (laughs) And, and where no one ever over emotes. You basically read the monologues. So never mind. Okay, <laughs> sir. If only, if only he could have been born into an all-black musical. Because no one ever dies in an all-black musical. <laughs> and the scene changes to a music, uh, to a musical. And Couch Mama starts to sing about why. Oh, why couldn't he be born into an all-black musical where he could smile, sing, and dance? And then the surviving people get up and sing and dance around the stage, all while lamenting about the son who was not born into an all-black musical. And then the music (laughs) changes to an upbeat music, and they start singing to the son's dead body to get up. Get up and dance, because this is his second chance. Because they're in an all-black musical now. The son rises from the dead and joins his family to dance. Suddenly, they're all in evening wear. <laughs> yep. Complete with top hats. And continue dancing and singing about being born into an all-black musical. And then they say, if you want to live, mm-hmm. you've got to dance. Mm-hmm. And then we see three black folks in blackface mm-hmm. hammering home the point that if it's not black pain it has to be black entertainment yes and i will read the stage directions at these points because the stage direction really shows so walter walter lee bo willie springs to life and joins in the dancing a foot stomping hand clapping music or production number takes off which encompasses a myriad of black broadway-esque dancing styles shifting speeds and styles with, with exuberant abandonment mama scats and the dancing becomes manic just a little too desperate to please just at the point the dancing is about to become violent the cast freezes and pointedly simply sings if we want to live, we have got to, we have got to dance and dance and dance. As they continue to dance with zombie-like frozen smiles and faces, around them, images of coon performers flash as the lights slowly fade. Yeah. So basically, not just that it has to be black entertainment, it has to be manufactured, making white people comfortable black entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about hello, that? Hello, my sweetie. Hello, my darling. Hello, bright time girl. Well, what's interesting about that is I kind of wonder if some of the shows that we will cover next year, if I can find them, if they are a response to this being pointed out. You you because... hinted at a little bit of that when we were watching the show, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we will expand upon it more. Because like later. Especially a show that George C. Wolfe is part of, Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk. It is very pointed, and it is 
Black History in a Musical with Tap. <gasps> yes. Um, but, like, I sit here and I think about it because, you know, if I if I had never seen any shows before things like The Color Purple and while it's not written by black people once on this island, I would have been like, what are you talking about? People die in black sh- black musicals all the time. Well, that's after Colored Museum. Black plays have the pain. Black musicals make white people smile. <laughs> Just a-, a thought that I, I, it kind of dawned on me, this latest watch through of like, Oh, that's why thing I I am almost certain because of the response that people had to this show that that's where the change came from. And Black K makes White Warren smile. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shall we? Yes, let's get to uh exhibit 9. Yep. Permutations. I'm going to read my notes and then K will explain what the heck this <laughs> one is actually about. <clears throat> Exhibit 9, Permutations. A woman is sitting with her hand on her chin. She says that her mama told her that God made the exceptional, and then the special, and then when he was done, he made her. Yikes. But her mama doesn't say that anymore ever since she laid this big egg. How big do I I hear you asking uh, phantom listeners? Big enough to be like a bean bag? Mm -hmm. It's a a big egg. And uh, the woman is on a huge egg saying that she had this egg after being intimate with the garbage man who smelled like all the good things that people shouldn't throw away. And after three days, her belly swelled up all big, and her ashamed mother locked her away so the neighbors couldn't see. And after a few weeks, she was in incredible pain from the swollen belly. The pain was so bad that she passed out, and when she woke up, the big egg was there. And when her mama got home, she was like, what is that thing? And she's like, that's not a thing, it's an egg. I laid it, and it's mine. And she explains that she spent all her time hugging that egg. And she's like, I'm the only person who's ever birthed an egg. So I'm special. You hear that, mama? I'm special, and so is my egg. Mm -hmm. She explains that she counts to the egg, and sings to the egg, and talks to the egg, and the egg talks back. And uh, I think her brain is a little scrambled, but she's <laughs> excited because she hears multiple heartbeats inside the egg. More heartbeats than she can count, but she stops counting at six, so seven or more. <laughs> the woman is very proud of her soon-to-be egg babies. Who knows what they're going to look like? Uh, the woman gets very serious, saying that her babies are going to be special and unique. And nobody better try to hurt her special egg babies. And uh, the scene ends, and we don't get to see the egg hatch or what the egg babies look like. And uh, what the heck, show? What the heck? You give me that weird scene, and then you don't give me any closure? I just... Kay? Kay, help me out, Kay. So, I will do... I'll first read from the book itself, and then I'll tell you about this essay that I found that will help a little bit with this. So, 
She suddenly stops and puts her ear to the egg and listens intently. Oh, I don't believe it. I thought I heard. Yes. Can you hear it? Instead of one heart, there's two. Two little hearts just pattering away. Boom, 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 talking to each other like old friends, racing towards the beginning of their lives. Oh, no. Now there's three, four, five, six more hearts than I can count, and they're all alive, beating out life inside my egg. We begin to hear the heartbeats, drums, inside Normal's egg. And any day now, this egg gonna crack open, and what's gonna come out be like... A be like the a be the likes of which nobody has ever seen. My babies, and their skin is gonna turn all kinds of shades in the sun, and their hair's gonna be growing every which way, and it won't matter, and they won't care, cause they know they are so rare and so special, cause it's not every day a bunch of babies break out of a white egg and start to live. I think I just understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And nobody better try to hurt my babies, because if they do, they're going to have to deal with me. Yes, any day now, this shell's going to crack, and my babies are going to fly, fly, fly. She laughs at the thought, but then stops and says the word as if it's the most natural thing in the world. Fly. Is this about race mixing? No. <laughs> Dang it. I well, thought I not had it. Really. I so, thought I had it. When she's talking about they're going to be every shade, the hair's going to go every which way, I thought I, it was talking about, you know, how how uh, the expression of genetics when when I mean that people have babies. that can be a part of it, but the big symbolism of it and this this uh essay that I found that this is a high school essay. I'm pretty sure. Is it on the dangers of race mixing? No. It's by... I'm sorry, I've been dealing with white genociders. So. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. It's from Goldie Barajas, who did this for their English 1B class uh, back in 2011. And it's specifically about this scene. And the thing that really hits with this is the name permutations for this exhibit is very appropriate since it means the act of transforming or arranging the order of elements in a different order than its original form. This title in relation to the exhibit means that the author will present us with an exhibit that will talk about some sort of change and the arrangement of things having to do with the African-American experience. In other words, it is rising up the idea of breaking out of some kind of ism or oppression. As far as the themes with this, within this exhibit, I see themes of identity, trashing, or identity, trashing, and assimilation. All of these themes have indeed been touched on in previous exhibits, for example, the trashing and identity in symbiosis and the assimilation in photo session. And what she's talking about is breaking out of white supremacy. Oh. That white egg keeping the babies in there. Ah. And the mama was going to just take that away so that we don't have to deal with that. But she wants to nurture these babies and get them out of that egg. Get them out of the white supremacist structure. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can and see And those that. babies of all shades, you know, it's, it's like the babies are going to come out 
all shades of black. And, Because uh, black people are all shades of black. Yeah, black people are all shades of black. And what I love is she talks about as far as the white egg, it symbolizes black people living oppressed by society's white people. This is ironic because Norma's babies are definitely not white, but black, which means that the egg should be black instead of white, or rather brown instead of white. And it's, you know, the quote, it's not every day a bunch of babies break out of a, out of a white egg and start to live, meaning it's not ordinary for black people to break out of racism or white supremacy to start living upon their own standards and not the ones that white people have set up for them. And it's, very... it's a very subversive thing that... Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's not common that I agree with folks who uh, are responding to symbolism in a show that, because, uh, I don't know, I again, we talked about this with Raisin in the Sun, but I'm very, like, straightforward in my thinking, because it's just well, how my brain yeah, works. I, I kind of do that, too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of how my brain works, but with this one, yeah, that white egg is, white, is the shell of white supremacy and trying to be holden to that structure. And I, it, it makes more sense about the heartbeats being drums, too, because mm -hmm. in the beginning, the drums that were taken away. Yes, and yes. And so their heartbeats are that, that drums, that ancestral music. Exactly. It's like... what we were, what was taken, and it's still living in there. And the next scene really grows on that. Hey, you are absolutely right. This, mm -hmm. yes. And I love it. I, so, this is a perfect ending for this show. This last scene, um, she was talking quite fast and had a lot mm -hmm. going on, so I definitely missed some things. Mm -hmm. So, of course, again, I'll get through my note, and then you can tell me what I was wrong with. Yep. Exhibit 10. The party! <laughs> it's party time and turn up the music. This woman is shaking her groove thing and is like, have you ever been to a party and seen one fool in the middle of the dance floor dancing harder than everyone? That's me. And she explains that when God made the world, he didn't rest on the seventh day. He partied! She talks about this amazing party someplace between 5th Street and Infinity and how all these different important icons were there talking about important icon stuff. And this Infinity Party, everyone was... And at this Infinity Party, everyone was partying. And then the floor started to shake and the walls started to move and the entire room took off and began to fly through the air, spinning and spinning and then disappeared inside of her head. And now, when she's walking down the street, she's just dancing and bopping because this party is in her head. She used to get enraged when someone would try to stop her from being herself, but now she doesn't need to because the party is in her. They tried to take their drums, they tried, they tried to take their people's drums, but the drums are in their walk, in their speech, in their hair. She's not her past, but she can't live without it. She is who she is, and who she wants to be, she is indefinable mm-hmm so huh, i love this one i love this one so much it is the perfect way to end this show and uh speaking of the party what what is the most interesting part of the party is who you've got interacting uh inside was the largest gathering of black negro colored americans you'd ever want to see over in one corner, you've got Nat Turner sipping champagne out of Eartha Kitt's slipper. 
And over in another corner, Burt Williams and Malcolm X are discussing existential existentialism as it relates to the shuffle ball change. Tap. Oh, okay. <laughs> Girl, Aunt Jemima and Angela Davis was in the kitchen sharing a plate of greens and just going off about South Africa. And then Fats sat down, Fats Waller, and started to work them 88s, and then Stevie joined in, and then Miles, and Duke, and Ella, and Jimmy, and Charlie, and Sly, and Lightning, and Count, and Louie. All musicians. And then everybody joined in. I tell you, all the children was just all up in there, dancing to the rhythm of one beat, dancing to the rhythm of their own definition, celebrating in their cultural madness. And then the floor started to shake, and the walls started to move, and before anybody knew what was happening, the entire room lifted off, up off the ground. The whole place just took off and went flying through space, defying logic and limitations, just spinning and spinning and spinning until it disappeared inside of my head. And uh, her, her thing that she repeats is, I'm dancing to the music of the madness in me. Dancing to the music of the madness in me, and that mm-hmm. that madness, I can ex- I can I can extrapolate what that madness is. It is all the pain and all the joy of the American experience, going all the way back from being brought here through all the hardship, through mm-hmm. all the joy, through all the innovations and revolutions, and all the contradictions, and all the contradictions, yeah. all the contradictions of being black in America. And I love what she says. And, and this is actually uh, in the original stage play, which is not in the version that's on real black, because uh, I'm not what I was 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. I'm all of that and then some. And whereas I can live inside yesterday's pain, I can't live without it. And that's everyone in the cast saying it because it's a five-person cast and everyone comes out as their characters from each of those scenes and you've got uh all of a sudden madness erupts on the stage the sculptures begin to speak all at once images of black negro colored americans begin to flash images of them dancing past the madness caught up in the madness being lynched rioting partying surviving mixed in with these images are all of the characters from the exhibits through all of this, Topsy sings. It is a vocal and visual cacophony which builds and builds. You have Lala, who was cut. Uh, I must tell you about this dream I had last night. You have Miss Raj, snap for every time you walk past someone lying in the street smelling like frozen piss. You have the man, I have no history, I have no past, I can't. It's too much, it's too much. I must be able to smile on cue and watch the news with an impersonal eye. You have Miss Pat screaming, stop playing those drums i said stop playing those damn drums you can't stop history you can't stop time those drums will be confiscated once we reach savannah and over it topsy is singing there is madness in me and that madness sets me free over and over and over and then she ends it with my power is in my madness and my colored contradictions and then the sculptures Ooh. freeze with a smile on their faces as we hear the voice of Miss Pat. Before exiting, check the overhead, as any baggage you don't claim, we trash. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Colored Museum needs to be taught. <laughs> because it's it's such a good look at all of it. 
it's it's one that when I saw that <sighs> there were so many mixed receptions to it, like there was a part of me that understood why, but another part of me that was like, but we kind of need to see that. And we kind of need to, uh, we, because the whole point of this show is we are living contradictions and we need to just, we don't trash our own identity. We need to acknowledge it, acknowledge the past, and then build. Because you can't, you can't just throw back, oh, you know, this bad stuff happened and I'm going to ignore it. You can't say, oh, I had to try and fight and create an identity, but now I'm going to try to assimilate. You can't do that. It's it's impossible. Instead, we need to celebrate that culture. We need to celebrate us. Anyway, yeah. How, uh, yeah, I, I love this show. I thought that was... I, I, I really enjoyed your impassioned... your recap of that and that's from the script i know but i'm just eating it up but uh (laughs) i think i think that one of the reasons that it it, like you talk about that it had such a a mixed reception Mm -hmm. is it may also be that the people who had a less than positive outlook on it maybe are more like me and didn't Mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. a lot of what was being presented mm-hmm. because when you because i like it more after hearing you go into a greater depth about the things mm-hmm. that i didn't understand because mm-hmm. now i have a better understanding yeah and so i like it more uh so i think that maybe that's the situation too is that mm-hmm. rather than people because you know there's always the attitude that some people have where it's like I don't want to admit that I don't understand something because then people will think that I'm dumb or I'm yeah. admitting that I'm dumb. Yeah. But if you're not admitting that you don't understand something, you can't learn. Mhm. And it I it's a very powerful show. Mm-hmm. It starts out with a swift you know rocket punch to the heart. Mhm. Uh, but then you know actually it's exactly what you're talking about that it's taking that pain. You can't throw it away. You have to build on it. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't let it be a shackle that holds you back. But you can't let it be a bad dream that you forget. Yep. It has. It's. It's a part. It's a part of. Yeah. Who you are. It's a part of the 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 bricks and mortar of the society that we mm-hmm. that we traverse. Yeah. And so you have to understand it so that you can not just live with it, but grow from it yes and uh there's there's a line at the end with topsy because topsy is the character that i feel the most like latched onto in this because uh my dad had a lot of anger a lot of anger and a i am a person who struggles with ever expressing anger and topsy has a great line that uh she says that's right girl there's a party going on inside of here that's why when i walk down the street my hips just sashay all over the place because i'm dancing to the music of the madness in me and whereas i used to jump into a rage anytime anybody tried to deny who i was now all i've got to do is give attitude quicker than light and then go about the business of being me because i'm dancing to the music of the madness in me and here, all this time, I've been thinking we gave up our drums. But nah, we still got them. I know I got mine. They're in my speech.
speech, my walk, my hair, my God, my style, my smile, and my eyes. And everything I need to get over in this world is inside here, connecting me to everybody and everything that has ever been. And that is, that is like the, I feel like that is the ideal. That, yes, exactly. That, that is, is, Topsy is the ideal there. That is the ideal, and it, it, mm. it uh, you know, as long as I've known you, I know that it can be really hard, mm-hmm. and that there can be times that, that the, that the, 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 the lash and the shackle pull you back, mm-hmm. but you still try to live that ideal, try to, yeah. to reach for that ideal, because at the same, it reminds me, you know, of a saying I've said before to you, but... The best revenge is living well. Yeah. And I see that in the ideal. Mm-hmm. That the best revenge is like, you did not break us. Mm-hmm. You know, you in in <laughs> in the same way that uh that the that the hammer beats the steel, it also and the fire forges, it makes it stronger too. Yes. Kind of yes. And it's one of those things cause like growing up, my dad always focused on the anger, the rage, the hate, the anger, the rage, the hate, the anger, the rage, the hate. And never really the joy. The things where it's like, yeah, this all happened. But I'm here. <laughs> I'm here in spite of them. And you know what? I'm going to live. I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to live. And I'm going to be me. And I'm going to... Uh, it's it's one of those things that... Huh, it's It's a rough thing. And the anger can still be there. But then you direct it. You direct it instead of just having it be anger everywhere. Instead of it just lashing out all the time, you gotta direct it. You gotta direct that energy to actually making a change. To going, okay, I'm angry about this. Well, why am I angry about this? Okay, well, what can I do to fix it? And half of the time I found it is teaching people. But, again, there are people who don't want to be taught. Yes, yes, there are people who and don't those want to be people taught. sometimes they are the baggage that you have to throw in the trash. They are the baggage that is not being claimed, and any baggage that isn't claimed we trash, so yeah, <sighs> colored museum's so good, y'all. It's so good. It's on YouTube, real black, watch it. uh, you can also read the whole play in Black Theater USA, and that includes La La's opening, and includes bits that I talked about that weren't in uh, the real Black version. Um, It also includes what the actual stage directions are, what the stage setting is. So good, y'all. So good. Um, Yeah. I love this show. George C. Wolfe is a genius. I concur. Mm Mm-hmm. So, how'd you like that for a wrap-up? of Black History Month this year. Uh it I would say that this has probably been more of a whirlwind than last year's. Mm-hmm. Um but also part of that is because we had more that we could watch mm-hmm. rather than you kind of reading to me and talking about stuff. Mhm. And it's I've learned some things and you've given me some things to think about too. Mhm. Which is interesting because I'm I'm kind of thinking about that too because I'm also sometimes uh, uh, a victim of that too just mm-hmm. the rage and the anger the rage and the anger because 
it's easier to be angry at the transgressions of the past than to think about how to help the future, help the mm-hmm. present, help the future. And I have some self-reflecting to do. <laughs> it is okay. Self-reflecting's always good. I do it all the time. That's one one of the biggest lessons that I learned, and we'll talk about it more in K and Warrantine with the specific community, but a community that I was involved in for a long time, one of the biggest things that we always did was questions. We always ask why. What and why? What are you feeling? Why are you feeling that way? Why do you feel this way about this? Why do you feel this way about that? Why is this this way? A lot of why questions help. And sometimes you don't get an answer right away. But sometimes after asking yourself enough questions, you'll get that epiphany. And it's like, oh, okay, this is, I need to do this instead. Or, yeah, this happens and I can't do anything about it myself, but I can steer other people who can do something about it. I can open more people's eyes to this issue. I can open up more people's hearts. And maybe I can't touch that person over there, but someone else sees me trying and goes, oh, well, let me figure out what's going on here because someone else is questioning something that I was thinking. And why am I thinking it that way? And it can, it can help. It can absolutely help. Questions are always good. This is a pro-self-reflection podcast. That's why I'll be standing naked in the mirror from here on out. And you'll be saying, Warren, why are you standing naked in the mirror? I'm self-reflecting. This Black History Month has been very educational, mm-hmm. very painful, mm-hmm. very entertaining, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. And now that we've got done kind of like a basics, we next uh, set of shows that we will cover for Black theater history will be a little bit more like it, some of the other shows that we missed covering because I've got two books of shows, hmm. <laughs> and that's not every show. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and maybe someday I can go into that Black Theater archive. Please God, somebody let me in there. <laughs> so- <laughs> So I can just sit and bask in the greatness and the amazingness. The, but yeah, uh, Colored Museum. Now you see why it's one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Now you see why I was so excited to get to it. Why you've, you've listened to it three times <laughs> yes, this month. I love this show. Four times now. Yes. Uh, it's so good. It's so good, y'all. So uh, I'm saying all of this to delay what happens next week. Because uh, next week is March, which means the... Uh, March Madness! That's a part of black history too, right? Because like 90% of the NBA is black. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> hey, I mean, there talk- will be some madness. They do talk, <laughs> they about-, talk about basketball. <laughs> they they do good. talk about basketball with Miss Pat when she's saying that uh, You'll this be millionaires thing here, because of basketball. you'll become millionaires! But, um... No, there will be some madness with March, because we have to continue our sentence. No. Mm-hmm. No. No. 
no, 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 okay. Okay, I... No! I know, baby, Say... I know. Say it, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make you feel better with Say... some dino facts, but we have to finish our sentence, <laughs> no. and no. at least you get to swear. I guess there's that. There's, there's that, because you'll need to. Next week, we continue our series of Land Before Time episodes of Land Before Time 4, Journey Through the Valley of the Mist. Might just be Journey Through the Mist. I've got such a headache just thinking about it. Latte thinks that you're dying. Oh my goodness. My dog does not understand melodrama. Nope, but she's smiling now. She gave me a little toe wag like, Dad, you're being silly. You're being a silly dad. You're being silly. Dad, you're you silly. Go, oh, look at that smile. Yeah, big smile. smile. You go girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, next week, Land Before Time 4. I'm gonna swear so much. Me too, I have baby. a whole February to make up for. Yeah. 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 Latte's going to swear, too. Yes, she is. It's going to be her first words. <laughs> so, thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed these Black Theater History episodes and uh, that... <laughs> yes, that 2021 <laughs> in uh, February was good to you and that you learned something. Maybe uh, decide to share these specific episodes with your friends and family say hey you know what you know it's not really well represented in theater black theater we need to lift up black voices and what a what better way to do it than to introduce them to different aspects of black theater and uh there is a section on the website just for these episodes which which website is that warren well our wonderful listeners can read can reach out to us at ToneDeafMusical.com, where we have links to our social medias, our Twitters, our Facebooks, our Instagrams, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, where we have our very own Not Safe for Work channel that is surprisingly mild. So please feel free to drop in, say hi, talk about theater, share pictures of your pets, or just talk about whatever. Yes, if you want to help out the show... Uh, You can simply do that by leaving a five-star review on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you can leave your reviews and ratings. Those really help drive up the show uh, in the charts. And you don't even have to, like, say anything. You can just well, you want to say something because reviews weigh heavier. But you could say something like, the sky is blue. Or, yes, Colored Museum is a masterpiece. Or, Latte's cute. If you mention Latte in your review, she gets a cookie. Yes, she does. Latte, do you want a cookie? Wow, this, this is the one time that you're not gonna... I, I was trying to that set you up. I was trying to set you up with our listeners to get some cookies via review, and then you remain completely silent. Well, she is the mostly silent third co-host. Yeah, but she's been, she's been growing when we stopped petting her. <laughs> she's a silly girl. She's like, English you... is my second language. <laughs> if you want to go above and beyond, you can join our Patreon, <laughs> which is Tone Deaf Musical, uh, and you can become one of our stage crew, you can become a producer, Sturkle, you can even be a ticket holder, and that is fine too, because you will earn our undying love. Uh, you can also buy uh, 
stickers, hats, masks, t-shirts at our Tee Public store linked on our website. But anyway, that'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Oh, you're such a silly